everyone and welcome to the year was the podcast all about today that gives you just enough information to effectively be that guy at the party causing all your friends to question hey who invited you like seriously why are you here i'm your host michael montolo for the next few minutes we will swim through the river of time to find out what makes today truly unique on this episode we examine the events that occurred august 12th when you hear dinosaurs, what do you think? If you are like most people, you probably think of giant beasts that roam the earth and may or may not have had feathers. You might think of Jurassic Park, and if you do, you probably think of the Tyrannosaurus Rex. And there our story begins. But also, I'm going to start in the middle. Listen to the episode, it makes sense. This may shock you to learn, but dinosaurs are old. Over 65 million years old, and when they died, they became the grass that the antelopes ate, leaving behind their bones, which turned into fossils, which ended up in museums. Real quick, you know why museums have old dinosaur bones? Because they can't afford new ones. The first recorded instance of a fossil being found goes all the way back to 1676, when Robert Plott, a curator to an English museum, described and made drawings of a large thigh bone that he believed to have belonged to a giant man or woman from the past. We could talk about it more, but the bone disappeared and nothing more is really known about it, except that a surviving drawing of the bone now suggests that it may have been part of a megalosaurus. Fast forward a couple of years and in 1822, large teeth were discovered in England by Mary Ann and Gideon Mantell. They thought the teeth belonged to a giant and extinct iguana, and nothing more really came from this. For a while. Going a bit more into the 1830s, then unknown creature tracks were found and studied in North America, in the Connecticut River Valley. These tracks were believed to be that of giant ravens, thought to have been released from Noah's Ark after the Great Flood, and the promise to never more put man in that scenario. Do you see what I did there? At the time, paleontology was a bit more lax on the whole needing evidence part. In 1841, Richard Owen, a British scientist, began to theorize that the fossils were so different and distinct from any living creature that they were in a class all their own and, as such, needed a new name. And after a round of the name game, he settled on Francis Walker III. Not really, it was Dinosauria, which, as you know, means terrible lizard. And that brings us to the late 1800s, where the competitive world of American paleontology saw the duo of Othniel, Marsh, and Edward Cope race to excavate fossils in the Rocky Mountains in the perfectly named The Bone Wars. The two teams found, discovered, and dug up the bones and fossil remains of 136 new species, which honestly is very impressive. They would go on to display their respective fossils, and the world was in dinosaur fever. They spared no expense. Museums and institutions began to form their own teams and went on the hunt for dinosaurs across the United States, and that eventually brought us to South Dakota. In 1892, Edward Drinker Cope, alongside Marsh, found what would later be identified as some of the first fossils that were the Tyrannosaurus rex. Fragments were also found in 1874 and 1890. Cope would name his beast Manispondylius gigax, I couldn't find a pronunciation guide for that one. A series of increasingly complete fossils found in Wyoming by Barnum Brown of the same species 
saved the name from being permanent, and instead, in 1905, Henry Fairfield Osborne officially dubbed the dinosaur, wait for it, Tyrannosaurus Rex, short for Tyrant Lizard King. And that, all in itself, is a cool story. But here's where it gets cooler. Do you remember when I said dinosaurs were old? Well, because of their advanced age, the bones and fossils are often missing some bits. This, as we just learned, is evidence based on the fragments of the T-Rex that were found previously. There are species we were misnaming and just didn't realize, such as the brontosaurus, which is the same type of dinosaur as the apatosaurus. In that instance, we had a mostly incomplete brontosaurus and then found a more complete version, which was then named the apatosaurus. This discrepancy was actually discovered in 1903, but both names are still being used today. The thing that I want to make sure I point out about this whole thing is that complete dinosaurs are incredibly hard to find. And that brings us, finally, back to South Dakota and the topic of today's episode. The year was 1990, and on this day, August 12th, Susan Hendrickson discovered Sue the T-Rex, dinosaur specimen FMNHPR2081, which is the largest, most extensive, and best-preserved Tyrannosaurus rex that's ever been found. Named after Hendrickson, before her discovery, the most complete fossil of a Tyrannosaurus rex was only 60%. Sue the dinosaur is an incredible 93% complete. She stands at an equally impressive 13 feet tall at the hip and 40 feet long. The skull alone is nearly 5 feet. Scientists believe Sue had a major growth spurt, gaining around 4.5 pounds a day as an adolescent and probably reached her full height at around 19 years old. We know from her bones that she was around 28 when she died, and we know this because I just found out dinosaur bones have rings like trees. When she died, it was thought to be because of a bite to the head, but scientists now think that it may have been an infection. And that just blows my mind that we can find out all of this from these fossils. But as great as this discovery was, it wasn't all good. Let's look at what happened with Sue. On August 12, 1990, Susan Hendrickson couldn't shake the feeling that she was going to make a great discovery, and driven by this, she decided to do some fossil prospecting. While out on her expedition, she saw fossilized dinosaur bones weathering out of a cliff, which I think means they were just sticking out. The bones, which were large vertebrae and a thigh bone, were located on a ranch belonging to Maurice Williams, north of Faith, South Dakota. Susan knew that the bones were almost certainly a Tyrannosaurus rex and made her way back to camp. Hendrickson's boss, Peter Larson, a founding member of the Black Hills Geological Institute at Hill City, South Dakota, was on his way to Faith in order to fix the tires on one of the Institute's vehicles. When he arrived, Hendrickson showed him the few pieces she had brought back to camp with her, and once determining it probably was a T-Rex, the two excitedly made plans to dig it up. In order to continue in this endeavor, however, they first had to take a few precautions. First, they needed to check and make certain that the land the bones were on did indeed belong to Williams. Once that was done, they had to get his permission to dig on the land, which they were given. Over the next few days, the team began their dig and quickly realized what they had unearthed. It doesn't say this anywhere, but I feel that they moved as quickly as they were able to as Larson negotiated a price of 5000 to buy the bones from Williams, which he did, 
and then begin the process of removing the bones from the ground and covering them in a protective plaster jacket, insert your own Fonzie joke. All this happened within 17 days, and the bones were excavated and on their way to the Black Hills Institute, where it was given the name Sue after Hendrickson. So far, so good. But here's where the trouble starts. When Williams, who was a quarter Sioux, saw the amount of publicity that the bones were receiving and the amount of money being offered to buy it, he and the Sioux tribe began to question the ownership of the dinosaur bones. It's going to get a little confusing here. Williams owned the land, but also had this land held in trust by the United States government for tax relief purposes. They argued that while Larson and his team had been granted permission to search for fossils on the land, they had never had the right to excavate and claim them. To make matters more complicated, Williams and Larson had what essentially amounted to a handshake deal. And added to that, because the U.S. government held the land in trust, Williams was required to seek the consent of the government in order to make the sale legal. This was something he had not done, and he had received no permissions. Federal agents would eventually seize the bones in 1992 on the grounds that the government had not given permission for the sale. Court battles ensued, but in April 1993, surprise, the government ruled that the fossils would remain in the trust and remain the property of that trust. The Supreme Court validated this ruling in the lower courts, and in October 1994, Sue the Dinosaur became the property of Maurice Williams and the Bureau of Indian Affairs, hereby referred to as the BIA. From this, the BIA granted permission to Williams to sell the fossil and suggested that it be auctioned off to the highest bidder. This was a problem because many scientists feared the commercialization and private collection of scientifically important specimens. These concerns were ignored, and in 1996, the Sotheby's auction firm was selected to conduct the sale. The next year, in October 1997, after only eight minutes and nine bidders, the auction was over. The winning bid came from Chicago's Field Museum of Natural History and was backed by three major corporations. Any guesses? Walt Disney World Resorts, the McDonald's Corporation, and finally, the California State University System. The winning bid was $8,362,500. Disney received a replica suit for exhibition at Walt Disney World, and McDonald's received two replicas to take on tour. The final preparations for Sue the T-Rex were done at McDonald's Fossil Preparation Laboratory at the Field Museum in full view of spectators. Remember when I said the head was five feet? Because of its size, it was too heavy to be placed on the skeleton as it would not be supported. So, in order to remedy the problem, a life-size cast was made and mounted that reduced the weight. The real skull was placed on display on the museum's second floor balcony. And it is here, at the Field Museum, that Sue has been displayed since May 17, 2000. In total, the whole process to get her ready for the public took over 50,000 hours. On February 5th, 2018, Sue the T-Rex began her migration to a new exhibit in the Griffin Halls of Evolving Planet. And in 2020, a fleshed-out version of Sue will be on display until August 18th before being shipped out on a touring exhibition. So I know what you're asking. Why is Sue important? Simply, she has provided and enabled scientists a chance to do detailed studies of evolutionary relationships, biology, 
growth, and behavior. Although I'm not really certain how they do that last one. We have learned about biomechanics and movement, dinosaurs' intellect, and can use this information to estimate how much she weighed. 8.4 metric tons, I know you were wondering. We can use the location of her discovery to learn what she ate while alive and what the environment was that she lived in. Peter Makovicki, the Field Museum's curator of paleontology, said, All of this can tell a very powerful, very vivid story to the public that gives insight to how science is done. There are questions about biology of dinosaurs, and Tyrannosaurus in particular, that you can only answer with Sue. In 2016, the four limbs took a trip to Lamont, Illinois, where researchers took micro-CT scans of the arms that have allowed us to get a close look at the bone structure, and with this, we can learn how she used her arms. In all, this is an amazing specimen. It had a troubled journey, but I think it is in a good home. For those interested, there is a fantastic documentary titled Dinosaur 13 that dives into this in much more detail and is well worth the watch. Also, for those curious, you can follow Sue the T-Rex on Twitter for dinosaur puns and information. That's going to do it for us today. If you like this podcast and want to hear more, give us a rate and a review. That helps me out and helps me steer this in a direction that is hopefully good for all. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can find the audio version on your podcast app of choice. You can find me on social media and at YouTube at the Apple Cider Club. And as always, I want to thank the Tim Kreitz Band for our musical theme. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.